Shalom and welcome to the Science of the Covenant podcast. And as always, all praises to the Most High Yah and His Son, Yahusha. I'm Boyce Washington, and on the other side of me is the Pastor Richard Washington. We want our listeners to know again, we are broadcasting every Shabbat at 1 p.m. Eastern Standard Time from our website, psychove.com. So if you're watching us live, we thank you and tell others about us that we're on every every Shabbat at 1 o'clock Eastern Standard Time. If you have any questions or comments while this podcast is live, you can email us at scienceofthecovenant at gmail.com. So, Pastor, today, what will we be dis- what will you be going over? Oh, what we <clears throat> what we'll be going over is uh we want to look at the word moed because I think for many individuals this word moed is not really in the mainstream of the teachings of the various churches today. So we we want to continue with the moedine and uh, we want to see how that ties in with worship because uh, we are moving kind of into the mark of the beast, but we want to lay the foundation where we can see where the mark of the beast came from and how it developed. So that's basically what we'll be dealing with is the moedine or the moed, the moed and how it relates to worship. Let us pray. Eternal Father, you've been gracious and you've been good to us. And as you have permitted us to be able to celebrate another Shabbat, we ask that you would wash us in your blood, cleanse us through the water of your word, and then sanctify us through your spirit, that we may have a holy day and a holy life and get a holy blessing because as we continue to keep the Sabbath, the Sabbath has a blessing to be able to prepare us to enter into a new week. So as we give this discourse, we ask that your spirit may be present to be able to guide us in the way that you would have us to go. And when we are finished, may we have done your biddings and your will will have been done. These blessings we ask in the name of Yeshua, the Messiah. And for his dear sake, we do pray. Amen. Amen. And amen. Amen. Okay, we want to turn back to our tech, a text that we have uh, <clears throat> previously used. <clears throat> and that text is found in the Isaiah. It's found in the book of Isaiah. <clears throat> and it's Isaiah chapter 14. And in the 14th chapter, we want to look at verse 13. Isaiah chapter 14, verse 13 says, For thou hast said in thine heart, I will ascend into heaven, I will exalt my throne above the stars of of Elohim. I will sit upon the mount of the congregation in the sides of the north. Now, if you remember in the previous discourse, we discussed that the sides of the north, according to the sanctuary, was the table of showbread, which was located on the northern wall. But now what we want to uh, concentrate on is is uh, the mount of the congregation. And when we deal with the mount of the congregation, we want to point out one particular word, and that is the word congregation, okay? That's the word congregation. Uh, and that word congregation, as we looked it up in the Hebrew, 
it means moed. The word congregation means moed. So what we have noticed thus far is that the word moed has been translated from a number of words such as season. We saw in the book of Genesis, in the Genesis first chapter, we saw that this word uh, season was also the Hebrew word for moed. In the English translation, it has season, but in the original Hebrew, it had moed, okay? And then, just as we have looked at, uh, just as we have looked at the uh, uh, Isaiah 14, 13, we have noticed that this word congregation means moed, okay? So now, when we, now let us turn to Leviticus, uh, Leviticus 23. And in Leviticus chapter 23, we want a, a verse or two there. Okay. Here in Leviticus 23, and we want to look at uh, Leviticus 23, and we want to look at verse 2, Leviticus 23, 2. Now notice what it says here. It says, Speak unto the children of Israel, and say unto them concerning the feast of Yah, which, shall, which ye shall proclaim to be holy, even these are my feasts. Now, what we notice also here, this word that is translated feast is the word mo, moed, okay? But now when you have more than one, you have what you call the moedim, because the I-M on the end of the Hebrew word makes it, uh, that makes it plural, okay? So we have the word season, which is moed. We have the word congregation, which is moed. And we have the words feast, which is moed. And in some places you'll find the appointed times, which comes from the moed. Moreover, we also learn that the word moed could be an appointed place, appointed meeting, or an appointed time. So now that we are getting a familiar with the word, let us now uh, take an analytical analysis of this word. When Satan said in his heart, I will be like the Most High, what we can discern from his intentions is that he recognized that Yah's position of authority, and he declared in his heart he didn't want the Father's position, but he did want to be like the Most High. See, he wasn't challenging the Most High. He said, I want to be like the Most High. Now, who was the Most High? The Most High was El Elyon, which was the Father. So when we ask the question, what does it mean to be like the Most High? What, what, is it, what does that mean? If Satan didn't want to, uh, if Satan didn't want to usurp the Father or El Elyon's position, then just what was he in competition with other than the creator. Who was he in competition with? As we have pointed out, Yeshua, who is Michael in heaven, in the heavenly courts, was the only other individual in whom Satan was competing with. So, so what was he in competition with Michael 
the son of, of Elohim. What was why, why was he in competition with him? Well, when the father was being worshipped, so was Michael. Now, keep in mind that the name Michael means one who is like El. See, the word El on the end of El on the end of Michael means El, which we generally translate God. So the name means one who is like El, or it, it means who is like El. It could mean one who is like El, or it can ask the question, who is like El? And you'll come back to Michael, which was Yeshua. So we would ask the question, why would the angelic host worship both the father and his son? Why would he do that? I'm pretty... I think it is pretty obvious that we should worship the Father, but how does the Son get to be worshipped? It was the Father who created all things through his Son. Therefore, by being Yah's Son, he, Michael, is the Son of Elohim. And being of such, he is due worship just as his Father. Furthermore, he was also involved in the creation of all things. Now, let us turn to the book of Colossians, the book of Colossians. And we want to look at his, uh, the creatorship of uh, Yeshua as well. It's the book of Colossians. And we want to uh, look in chapter 1, Colossians chapter 1. And we want to start with verse 15 and go to around about verse 20. So Colossians chapter 15 says, Who, who is the image of the invisible Elohim, the firstborn of every creature? Okay, now we just discussed that Michael was one like Elohim. Now, in Colossians, is bringing out, is asking the question, who is in the image of the invisible Elohim? We can't see Elohim, but he's asking who is in his image? And then he says, the firstborn of every creature, uh, of every creature. Now, who was the firstborn of every creature? Verse 16 says, for by him were all things created that are in heaven, that are in the earth, visible and invisible, whether they be thrones or dominions or principalities or powers. All things were created by him and for him, and he is before all things, and by him all things exist. And he is the head of the body, the church, who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in all things he might have preeminence. For it pleased the Father that in him should all the fullness dwell. And having made peace through the blood of the cross, through the blood of his cross, by him to reconcile all things unto himself. By him, I say, whether they be things in earth or things in heaven. So when we comprehend what he's saying here, it is saying that when the Father create, created things, he created all things, according to verse 17, and he is before all things, and by him all things consist. In other words, when he had creation, both he and his son were responsible for bringing all things into existence. So, by being not only Yah's son, 
but also the co-creator with his father qualifies him for worship. If he created us, then we should worship him. Because how could they worship Yeshua when he was on earth if he was not the creator and the son of Elohim? The only way you can be a creator or a son of Elohim, first you got to come from Elohim to be a son. And then when you are involved in the creation of all things, including humanity, then that means that those in whom uh, the Father and the Son created, then they should be worshipped by the Father and the Son. This is why when Peter went to Cornelius' house and Cornelius wanted to worship him, he said, no, I'm a man just like you. You don't worship me. You worship the Father. But when they fell down to worship Yeshua, Yeshua never said, don't worship me, because he knew he was Elohim and he could be worshipped. Our word for worship comes from a number of both Hebrew and Greek words. However, among the words, the one that appears to be used most in Hebrew is the word shakah. Now, shakah is spelled S-H-A-C-H-A-H. S-H-A-C-H-A-H. This word shakah, and it carries the meaning uh, of to bow self down. See, a lot of people, uh, they don't make a distinction between worship and praise. See, praise is one thing, but worship is to bow down. You don't worship until you bow down. This is why when Satan was dealing with Yeshua in the wilderness, he said, if you bow down and worship me, I give you all of this. And Elohim says, man should not worship anybody but Elohim himself. So when we bow down to worship, that's, that is worship. If we're not bowing down, you, you're not worshiping. So when we bow down, put our head on the ground, we are worshiping. Consequently, what Satan was seeking in being like the Most High was for the angelic hosts to pay homage to him as they did to the Heavenly Father and his Son. That's what he wanted. When he said, I want to be like the Most High, he said, I want to be worshipped. That's, that's what I want. I want to be worshipped by the angelic host. And I want to be able to take Yeshua's place or Michael's place, and I can be like the Most High. He wanted worship. But he had to understand he was a created being. He was not the son of Elohim in the sense that Yeshua came forth from him but he was created by him. Neither was he a creator. He never created man, so man should not worship anybody that did not create him. Yeshua created us, so therefore we worship him. Now, what we want to do at this juxtaposition is to see how the, uh, how the word moed and the word worship are synonymous. What what, what makes these two words synonymous, okay? How are these words related to one another? How are they equal to one another? So thus far, we have pointed out that the word moed has to do with the appointed place, the appointed meeting, the appointed congregation, and the appointed time. So the word moed is singular, as I pointed out earlier, but by adding the I-M on the end of it, uh, we get the plural form. 
of this word, which would be moedim, M-O-E-D-I-M. M-O-E-D is the singular. M-O-E-D-I-M is the plural. Consequently, when we associate moed or moedim with worship, we have the following scenarios. We have the appointed place of worship. We have the appointed meeting of worship. We have the appointed congregation of worship. We have the appointed time of worship. So when the father and his son were worshiped, it was at a place where they would meet at a certain time. What this spells out to us is that Elohim's worship was, wasn't a random occurrence, but rather it was by design. Elohim designed his worship place as a sanctuary, his worship meeting as the congregation of the assembly of those coming together. His worship time is the feast. With this comprehensive picture of worship as it relates to the mo moed, we can put some things in place which would help us to begin to move in on what the mark of the beast system entails. What we want to do at this juncture in our study is to examine what the book of Revelation called the seal of Elohim, the seal of Elohim or the seal of Yah, which we call the seal of God. Here we read in a number of texts in the seventh chapter of Revelation concerning the sealing of Yah's people. So let us turn to the book of Revelation. So we got a pretty comprehensive look at the word mo, mo, moed or moedim. And we looked at the word for worship, okay? And we looked at worship, and that's what Satan wanted was worship. Now we're going to see how this kind of ties in with the seal of Elohim, because what we're going to discover is there's some similarities between the seal of Elohim and also the mark of the beast. So we must understand what the seal of Elohim is, and then I think we're going to understand quite clearly what the mark of the beast is, but... This is all foundational stuff that we have to lay in order that we can see uh, what the mark of the beast is. Okay, now we want to turn to Revelation uh, chapter 7. And in Revelation chapter 7, we want to look at verses 1 through 3. Revelation chapter 7, 1 through 3. Now here it reads, John, when he was given this uh, vision or when he was given this revelation, it says, John, Chapter 7, verse 1 says, And after these things I saw four angels standing on the four corners of the earth, having the four winds of the earth, and holding the four winds of the earth, that the wind should not blow on the earth, nor on the sea, nor on any tree. And I saw another angel ascending out, ascending from the east, having the seal of the living Elohim, and he cried with a loud voice to the four angels to whom it was given to hurt the earth and the sea, saying, Hurt not the earth, neither the sea, nor the trees, 
till we have sealed the servants of our Elohim in their foreheads. Here, these verses speak about a sealing work which is to take place among Yah's servants. Moreover, we are told that this sealing work, that it is to take place, and as it is to take place, here it points out that he will seal his servants in their foreheads, okay? So now what we want to do at this juncture is to look at a correlation between the seal of Yah and the mark of the beast. We want to look at this correlation. So we want to turn to Revelation chapter 13 because it says that Elohim wants to seal his people in their forehead. Okay, that's why he wants to seal them. So we want to turn to Revelation 13 and we also want to look at uh, verse 16. Revelation 13, 16. Now notice what it says here. In the 16th verse of the 13th chapter of Revelation, and he calls, talking about the mark of the beast and the image of the beast, and he calls all, both small and great, rich and poor, free and bond, free and bond, to receive a mark in their right hands or in their foreheads. Now, here in Revelation 13, 16, it speaks about receiving a mark in their right hand or in their foreheads. Now, isn't it ironical that Satan wants to put his mark in the same place as Yah want to put his seal? Same place which is in our forehead. Okay. So the word forehead in Revelation 7.3 comes from the word, the Greek word, metupon, metupon. It's spelled M-E-T-O-P-O-N, metupon. And metupon means between the eyes. So the Greek word for forehead is metipon, which means between the eyes. So what is between our eyes is the frontal lobe of our brain. The forehead is the seat of our reasoning, the capacity to think, the ability to understand the area of intellectual activity. It is in this area of our cognitive faculty that there is a war going on to take over our minds. This mental battle first took place in heaven when the angelic, with the angelical host. It was whether they would worship Yah or Satan. We are told from the book of Revelation that a third part of the stars of heaven were cast to the earth. Now, when we notice in Revelation 12, verse 4, when it says, and his tail drew a third part of the stars of heaven. Now, we know stars is symbolic representation of the angels. So he took a third of the angels that was willing to worship him more than Elohim. 
However, while Satan is contending for our minds, he is also putting his mark in one's right hand. Now, while y'all's seal only, while y'all seals us only in our foreheads, the mark of the beast is to be placed in both the forehead and the right hand. Notice in verse 16 of the 13th chapter, he starts off by saying in the latter part of the verse to receive a mark in their right hand. So you can get it in your right hand or in their foreheads. He has two places you can put the mark. But notice that Elohim, he only puts it in our forehead. That's the only place. Satan want to put it in your, in, in your hand, your right hand, or in your head. Okay? Now that we have looked at this mental correlation whereby both Yah and the beast respectively wants to place their seal and mark in one's forehead, let us continue to pursue Yah's seal. Let us pursue that seal. We read in Revelation, the seventh chapter, concerning these who are to be sealed. Okay, so when we turn back to Revelation 7, let's come, turn back there. Now, who are to be sealed? Okay. Well, when we read, when we started verse 4, it says, And I heard a number of them which were sealed, and there were sealed, and hundred and forty and four thousand of all of the tribes of the children of Israel, and out of the tribe of Judah sealed twelve thousand, and out of the tribe of Reuben were sealed twelve thousand, and out of the tribe of Gad was sealed twelve thousand, and out of the tribe of Aser was sealed twelve thousand, out of the tribe of Nephtalim were sealed twelve thousand, out of the tribe of Manasseh were sealed 12,000. Out of the tribe of Simeon were sealed 12,000. Out of the tribe of Levi were sealed 12,000. Out of the tribe of Issachar was sealed 12,000. Out of the tribe of Zebulun was sealed 12,000. Out of the tribe of Yosef was sealed 12,000. Out of the tribe of Benjamin was sealed 12,000. And when you add all of that together, you got 12,000. So it is saying those were his servants and they were to be sealed. The angel from the east who came and totally angels to hold back the winds of strife, and strife until we have sealed them in their foreheads. So here it speaks of the sealing of 12,000 from the 12 tribes of, of uh, Yashareel, or the 12 tribes of Israel, which are the 144,000, having their fathers, according to Revelation 14.1, having their father's name written in their foreheads. Okay, having their father's names written in their foreheads. So what we're looking at here in Revelation chapter 14, which corresponds to Revelation uh, chapter 7, it says in 14.1, And I looked, and lo, a lamb stood on Mount Zion, and with him a hundred and forty and four thousand, having his father's name written in their foreheads. So what we are observing here is that uh, the ceiling involves our minds. So what possibly could Yah's seal be? It says they are sealed in their foreheads. And then when we get to Revelation 14, verse 1, it says they have their father's name in their foreheads. Okay, now, what we are dealing with is this. 
We have a seal that is going in their foreheads. So if their father's name is in their foreheads, what does the seal have to do with the father's name? What does that have to do with the father's name? So we'll stop here, and by the grace of Yah, we'll pick up uh, from this next week to see if we can make some correlations between Yah's seal and the beast mark. So we stop here as we have looked at the Moedim, as we looked at worship, and as we have looked at the the seal and the mark as it relates to the man. And we want to see how the father's name connects with the seal. And we'll do this next week. So we'll uh, stop here for this week. Okay. So the 12,000 that were sealed from each tribe would end up being 144,000. Are mm-hmm. they the only ones that are going to be sealed? Um, According. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, well, let, let, let's look at it. Uh, according to the uh, scripture, they are the only ones that that special group. Okay, but let let us look at this. Uh, that shed a little light on on your question. Uh, okay, if you look at uh, Revelation uh, chapter seven, and you start with verse number nine. Now, this is after the sealing has taken place of the of the hundred and forty four thousand. Now, notice what verse nine says. Revelation 7, 9 said, And after this I beheld, and lo, a great multitude, which no man could number, of all nations and kindreds and people and tongues, stood before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed with white robes and palms in their hands, and cried with a loud voice, saying, Salvation to our Yah, which sitteth upon the throne and unto the Lamb, Okay, now when you read in this, he say he saw a multitude. Mm-hmm. Uh, but when you read down, it doesn't say anything about the ceiling of the great multitude after the other quarter of a thousand. Okay. So I so I'm drawing the conclusion that uh, they are they are not they are not being sealed, but they are being redeemed. So what is the significance of the ones who are being sealed then as opposed oh, to the ones that uh, the no man number, no man can number? Well, I was just following up on your question. I haven't gotten into that, but the thing okay. that we was uh, dealing with is that he said the 144,000 are from Israel and they shall be sealed. Okay. But now I'm not sure if this great multitude are all from Israel. It's yeah. said out of every kindred tongue, nation, and people. So mm-hmm. I can't equate that with Israel. So uh, once we find out what the seal is, uh-huh. then we may make some correlations. But right now, I see in two different groups, the 144,000 and the number, no, no man can number. Because, I mean, the... With only 144,000, that even means not all of Israel is going to be sealed. Just a specific bunch of the 144 will be sealed. And yeah, I guess he the said rest. He's going to get 12,000 out of each of, each of those uh, uh, tribes that were mentioned. Now, are these uh, supposed to do a certain job or. Um, well, uh, as at, when we when we preface our remarks, we were saying that the four angels on the four corners of the earth, Mm -hmm. 
they were to uh, let the winds of strife blow, but the angel from the east came down with the seal of the living Elohim, okay. and he said, hold the winds, don't, don't destroy this earth yet, uh-huh. because we have to seal and do some sealing. Now, here's my contention. Here's my take on that, and we can search it out, too, because we'll be dealing with it, uh-huh. that when he said, hold the winds of strife, and don't let them blow until we have sealed our servants in their foreheads. Now, okay. to answer your question, what special work they have to do, uh-huh. uh, I think it's going to be found in being able to help the masses of the people okay. to understand what the seal is. Okay. I think that's that's uniquely what what they're going to do is to help them to understand what the seal is, so they they can possibly get the seal. But at this point, uh, it's only the hundred forty four thousand. But I don't think it's unique with them. I think other people can get it as well. But we have to get to that that study. But I think that's what the unique purpose of the hundred forty four thousand here so is to help others to understand the seal. Is the seal. And, uh, something that's going, I mean, and, and this goes to both uh, the seal of Yah as well mm-hmm. as the seal uh, that Satan in the right hand and the forehead. Um, is this something physical or is will it be something metaphorical? Well, that's what we'll, uh, we'll, we'll probably be touching on this one as we go through the seal okay. to know whether it's physical or, you know, uh, or phys- some kind of physical thing. Okay. Mm-hmm. So um, that's that's all a part of the mark. So uh, by the time when we get to there, then you can either re- redress the question or it will be answered once we uh, kind of thoroughly cover this topic of the seal of Elohim. Okay. Mm-hmm. So Yah's seal is just in the forehead, whereas Satan's is either mm-hmm. going to be in the hand, right hand, or in the forehead. Mm-hmm. Yeah, those two places. And uh, we'll be sp- speaking more pointedly on why they'll be uh, in the in the right hand and the forehead. We'll, we'll probably get into more of that. It's, it's going to be both or one or the other? Well, according to the Bible, it's one or the other. Oh, okay. Mm-hmm. okay. That's Bible says either in the right hand or in the forehead. And I'm wondering why specifically the right hand? as opposed to the uh, left or even one or the other? Uh, we'll, we'll be probably dealing with that too. Okay. We'll be dealing with that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, that, that, that right hand has, uh, has some significance. Okay. Uh, so, worshiping, is worshiping the son the same as worshiping the father? Uh, in a sense, it's different, and in some ways, it's similar because uh, uh, the Bible teaches that uh, every knee shall bow before, you know, Yeshua, mm-hmm. and and we we we'll give him the praise and the honor. But we also know that Yeshua, when he was on Earth, was trying to point us to the Father, mm-hmm. and he says we should let our light so shine that. We can glorify our Father, which is in heaven. So we worship both the Father and the Son. Mm-hmm. In some instances, it's different. In some instances, it's the same. Now, in the instance in which it's same, the same is 
that when we worship them as creators, we are worshiping them simultaneously as being the ones who are due worship. But when Yeshua was here on earth and he was looking to the Father on earth, then the worship was somewhat different because here Yeshua, who is our, our high priest after the order of Melchizedek, uh, was pointing us to the Father to worship him. Okay. So when we worship the Father that way, it was distinctively giving the Father praise and glory. And then we point out the fact that when Yeshua uh, came, he came at the request of giving us salvation. Mm-hmm. So we thank the Father for sending him, and we thank him, uh, Yeshua, for the salvation that he provided for us. But it's some what different when we worship the Father because the Father gave us the Son, so we worship Him. But the Son who came and died for us, mm-hmm. we worship Him because He gave His life. Okay. Now, what we must understand is the Father couldn't give His life because the Father couldn't die. Mm. He, he He has always been this way. When you read in Revelation, he's, it talks about Him who wa- who was and is and is to come. That's okay. Yeshua, uh-huh. but but the Father couldn't die, uh-huh. and so we give Him praise for sending the Son, because the Son could die. Anything that comes from the Father could die, but the Father couldn't. So we are so thankful that He had a Son that could die, and that He was willing to die. So when we give praise and honor to Yeshua for dying for us, that's a little different from the Father, because the Father could die for us. But when we worship the Father and give Him glory for sending the Son. Mm-hmm. That's a little different because he couldn't die, but he so was willing to send his son. So in a way, they are worshipped similar, and in some ways they are worshipped differently. Okay. So we worship the Father for being our creator and the Son for the one he shed in his blood and dying for us. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So with with what you said, the Father couldn't die. Mm, nothing can kill God, yeah. So the son, was he created from the father then that he could die? No. Uh, or say, just, well, he was, he, 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 he wasn't really created. He, he was first begotten. He came forth. Matter of fact, somebody has asked me that question, uh-huh. and I'm in the process of writing a paper on that, but I haven't finished the paper. Okay. No, he came forth just like, when he breathed into us, we came forth. His breath came forth from him. But when he got into us, we we were capable of dying. But he who gave the breath cannot die. His life, everlasting life. Okay. So with the son coming forth from the father, he was able to take form and die. Mm-hmm, you're right. And uh, but the father is no. I mean, he's existed. So I mean, if he's the creator of all things, there's no way you're gonna get the creator of all things will um will die. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um. Before we go into the last question, the forehead is that a lot of significance to the mind? Is that Satan and Yah is at a battle for each and every one of our minds? Yeah, well, that, yeah. Uh, let me see. Let's turn to Genesis. You know, let's turn to Genesis chapter. Let me see. I think it's chapter three. 
Uh, Alright, Genesis 3. Uh, uh, let me see. Well, actually, uh, let me see here. Uh, let me see. Uh, let me see. Mm. Yeah. Mm. Okay, let's look. Let's look at Genesis uh, two sixteen. All right, Genesis two sixteen. Then we get to three. Okay. It says here, and uh, Yah Elohim commanded the man, saying, "Of every tree of the garden you may feel its eat, but of the tree of the knowledge of the good and evil thou shalt not eat of it." that thou eatest not thereof, that for in the day that thou eat thereof, you should die. Okay, this was the covenant that was made, okay? Uh, that was the covenant. Okay, now when we get into chapter 3 of Genesis, it says, Now the serpent was more subtle than any beast of the field which Yah Elohim had made. And he said unto the woman, Yea, has Elohim said, ye shall not eat of every tree of the garden. Okay, now, for him to have the... Cons so, when you... Your question is, uh, is they battling for the mind? Yeah. Uh -huh. That's where the whole conflict of salvation started. Uh -huh. Elohim put the covenant in their minds, then Satan comes on with his uh, uh, spiel to say that has Elohim said, you should not eat of every tree? No, he didn't say, he didn't say that. He said, do not eat of the tree of knowledge of good, good and evil. He pointed it out to them. Uh -huh. They knew what tree not to eat of. And he's coming along talking about you can't eat up all of the trees. Elohim pointed specifically the tree he was talking about. He, he wasn't talking about all of the trees. Uh -huh. He said, this is a particular tree. And he was starting his sophistry there to twist their minds and to get them confused. And so it was a battle of their minds from the beginning uh, of creation. He was battling for their minds. So by the time that he caused them to sin, he is battling with the minds of the people from that time all the way up to now to try to blot out the plan of salvation. But he wants them to follow the plan of damnation. Mm -hmm. So he's, it's, it's a war for the minds of, of the people. It's a battle for the minds. That's, what, that's where the plan of salvation is. This is what you call uh, psychological warfare. Wow. Wow. Psychological warfare. That's what we're going through now in a battle between Satan and our Savior. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Wow. Well, with that, we will go on to our next segment. Mm -hmm. Up next is Let's Talk About That. Well, and kind of going along uh, with what we've been studying on the Mark of the Beast and Satan, I started to think about Satan's seed. And so today I kind of have some questions I want to talk about you with you, Dad, on uh, dealing with mm -hmm. Satan's seed. And mm -hmm. if you have your Bibles, if you can turn with me to Genesis. We're going back to Genesis. Like we've been between Genesis and Revelation, the beginning and the end. See mm -hmm. how things begin and how it ties into Revelation and the end. So uh, you can turn with me to Genesis chapter 6, and we're going to read verses 1 through 4. Genesis chapter 6, verses 1 through 4. And it reads, And it came to pass when men began to multiply on the face of the earth, and the daughters were born unto them, 
that the sons of Elohim saw the daughters of men, that they were fair, and they took them women of all which they chose. And Yahuwah said, My Ruach shall not always strive with man, for he for that he also is flesh. Yet his days shall be a hundred and twenty years. They were Nephilim in the earth in those days, who also gathered afterward. When the sons of Elohim came in, in unto the daughters of men, and they bore children unto them, the same became the warriors and tyrants which were from the everla- which were from everlasting mortar men of the name. So my question is, the Nephilim, which we know as giants, did they come from men or were they just uh, from the result of the angels taking the daughters of men or did they were just something totally different, different species? Well, 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 I think one of the keys to understanding this verse is uh, that when we look at verse two, mm-hmm. okay, and it says the sons of Elohim. Mm-hmm. Now, now, who are the sons of Elohim? You know, now in some passages we read that Adam he was the son of Elohim in the in the uh, mm-hmm. some of the uh, genealogy and in, in, in I believe in Matthews and stuff. Uh-huh. And then sometimes the sons of Elohim are the angels, particularly. Oh. Okay, so now if they're the angels, particularly, then you have to take the course that if he's talking about angels taking the daughters of men, uh-huh. then look at the terminology. Now, why would he say that the sons of Elohim uh, took the daughters of men? Now, if the daughters were from God, he, he couldn't he couldn't he have read this to say. And the sons of Elohim saw the daughters of God, but angels are not male nor female, so you couldn't get you you, you couldn't you you couldn't get a uh, uh, the feminine feminine out or the masculine out of angels because they neither uh, uh, male or female. Okay. So the point that I'm trying to emphasize is that uh, it says the daughters of men. Okay, now. If if it's if it's the daughters of men, why couldn't the right Moses have said the sons of men cohabitated with the daughters of men? Mm. That in this that in itself would have put it on the human plane alone, because you're saying daughters of men are cohabitating with the daughters. Uh, the, I mean, the daughters of the, the sons of men are cohabitating with the daughters of men. So that would be human with humans, okay, which would be okay. Okay. But for the mere fact that he's saying the sons of Elohim with the daughters of men, so while you got God in one scenario when it comes to the sons, yeah. and when you come to the daughters, you got the human race. Yeah. So that lets me know that it's 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 uh, these beings were not human. They were angelical beings. Okay. Okay, and so they chose to lay with women. Now, in Apocrypha, you may have a little more discussion on that, but uh-huh. a lot of people may not be familiar with the Apocrypha, but it appears here that you have those of a supernatural nature as angels trying to cohabitate it with the daughters of men. Because if you remember, when Yeshua was on earth, what did he say? 
He says, as it was in the days of Noah, so shall it also be in the days of the coming of the Son of Man. Yes. He said they eat, they drink, they gave in marriage, and, and stuff like that. Okay. So so why was it, why was it so out of, out of the ordinary for people to eat and to drink? We mm-hmm. do that now. We eat and drink. Yeah. And we marry and we are given in marriage. So why would he say it as it was in the days of Noah? Because he knew that in the days of Noah, there were some things that was uh, bizarre that was going on. It wasn't just that uh, a male and female was married. You had angels trying to cohabitate with beings on earth that he had to destroy, and he's going to have to do it at the end of time. And so what we see back then as the amalgamation of angels and men, it's, it's going to be a lot of amalgamations here on earth that he could not redeem and take to heaven, so mm-hmm. he's going to have to destroy it. So he said, you know, as it was in the days of Noah. And, and in days of Noah, if you really look at the story, it was a lot of things that was going on that was going against the teachings of the Torah and the teachings that Elohim had given to his people. Mm-hmm. So uh, now did those... Uh, bring forth the Nephilim, or were, were they just a total different species altogether? Well, let me let me put it this way: it's it says in verse four that after they cohabitated, he said there were giants in the earth in those days. Now you have to uh, you have to put the the verses before it and after it. Now, if you notice what it says, it said. In Genesis 6, 4, there were giants in the earth in those days. Mm-hmm. Now, your giants came from at least two people, okay? Okay. Now, now I would imagine that Adam and Eve, they were giants. Because when yeah. he first made them, they were, they were tremendous creatures mm-hmm. that he had made, okay? But now, as we deal with this scenario, that it points out the sons of God, then I think you got a different species than Adam and Eve. It says there were giants in, in the earth in those days. And also after that, when the sons of Elohim came into the daughters of men. So, so it, it ain't talking about man and man giants. It's talking about man and, and, and angels or man and these fallen creatures from heaven. Mm-hmm. He says they came into the daughters of men. Because I would not need, if, if if Adam came into his wife, I would not need to say that Adam was the son of God and she was the son of man. Or the people that Adam and Eve had, that one is from humans and one is from uh, Elohim. I wouldn't need to say that if they were from the same species. Yeah. But if they're from a different species, then it what it's telling us, it says, when the sons of Elohim came in unto the daughters of men, Okay. And they bear children to them. The same became mighty men, which were of old men of renown. And Elo and 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 Yah saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth. So it looked like this is a different different type of species that he did not make. Man made it. So now I know. I mean, uh-huh. I meant to say not man made it, but angels yeah. made these different type of species. So we know that uh, Yah had to, he had the flood come to kind of wipe out a lot of these things in the earth because it was wicked. But we know the Nephilim later on still existed because uh, 
wasn't it when Israel went to spy the land that they was in the land which Yah had gave to Abraham? Mm-hmm. And I think didn't Yah give them specific ordinances to go in there and wipe them out, not to let them exist? Yeah, I believe so. Uh huh. So what's your question? And so my my thing is too did. At that time, all of them wiped out, or is it possible that still some of the Nephilim is still here to this day? Uh, well, um, like again, a lot of this is explained in some of the sequel books, uh, yeah. but I think there's uh, there are some passages, you know, it speaks about uh, these beings being put in chains of darkness. Uh-huh. Let me see, let me let me look at a, a text or two in the Book of Jude. See, Jude is a book that I think he points uh, he points back to some of the books of the Sefer Bible. See, King James, uh, some of the books have been removed, so you, you may not have all that. But if you turn to the book of Jude, okay, let's turn to the book of Jude, uh-huh. chapter, chapter 1 and verse 6. Now, no, notice what it says here in Jude, chapter 1, verse 6. It said, and the angels which kept not their first estate. Now it says angels here, but left their own habitation. He hath reserved in everlasting chains under darkness unto the judgment of the great day. Mm-hmm. Okay, and then he talks yeah. about Sodom and Gomorrah and all that. But, but I think one 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 thing we can deduce from that: if he put them in chains of darkness, they still existed. These mm-hmm. angels. They, they he said they left their first estate. Okay. Now, how did they leave their first estate? Well, they knew, just like man, just like Adam and Eve knew what the covenant was. These angels knew what the covenant was uh-huh. that they should not cohabitate with man. They they were not given the power of procreation. Mm-hmm. See, only mankind was given procreation. They did not have that. So when they got in there and started mixing up the DNA with angels and, and with them whatever science, see, they were brilliant angels. You know, they, they had sciences far beyond what we understand. And they are no doubt influencing people on earth mm-hmm. who are scientists to do their thing. But the point I'm saying is, you said they was held in chains of darkness. So if they was held in chains of darkness, the flood didn't destroy them. It only mm-hmm. destroyed, it says it destroyed all mankind and animals and stuff like that. Wow. The Garden of Eden was taken back to heaven, so they didn't destroy that. Uh-huh. So what it destroy, destroyed was mankind, but they still existed. That's why we have them after the flood. And then the other thing you have to look at is that Satan was behind all of this. Okay, yeah. because where was Satan? According to my Bible, it says that he spoke through the serpent to deceive Eve. So that meant that certain, according to the book of Revelation, that Satan was cast into the earth. So if he was in the earth, he had to be here when the flood came, but he wasn't destroyed. Yeah. So the Nephilims probably was in the same same boat because they were part human and part angels. Well, that's part human, part angels. Huh? You said part human and part angels. Yeah, because the angels was laying with the daughters of men. So it sounds to me that I remember in school us teaching, uh, learning about Greek mythologies and whatnot. And it sounds to me like some of these things that was uh, they talked about in beings they talked about in Greek mythology may not have been myths. 
that maybe they possibly were on this planet at one point and all. Because uh, just like how they were saying about the mermaid and half man, half horse and whatnot, that mm-hmm. people, you know, worship as different gods. I wonder, mm-hmm. is it possible that those things actually did exist? Well, you know, when we go go back to mythology, uh, we have to kind to uh, see in mythology what was, what was you know, uh, going on at that particular time in their culture. Mm-hmm. Because uh, we, oh, well, let us turn to the book of e- Ezekiel. Okay, when we turn to the book of Ezekiel, in the first chapter of Ezekiel, notice what the Bible says here, starting with uh, verse 5, okay? Mm -hmm. It says, Also out of the midst thereof came the likeness of four living creatures, okay? So when you got four living creatures, let's look at how they are describing it. And this was their their appearance. They had the likeness of a man. Okay. Uh-huh. And then it said, and everyone had four faces, and everyone had four wings, and the feet and and their feet were straight feet, and the sole of their feet was like the sole of a calf's foot, and they sparkled like the color of burnished brass. And they had in their hands, and they had the hands of a man under their wings on four sides. And they four had their faces and their wings. And number nine says, their wings were joined one to another, and they turned not when they went, and they went everyone straight forward. Now, it's talking about here, these beings with four faces, okay, mm-hmm. and, 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 and these various various faces that they had. Okay, now, if we were to look at that from a mythological standpoint, we would have to say, you know, what being has four faces, you see? Okay. And, the, and then when you get to Revelation, it talks about the, uh, the, the, the four living creatures there as well, yeah. and, and they have certain attributes that are not normal with the human body. And then when you go into the book of Daniel uh-huh. in some of the visions that he got about the world empires, it was like a lion with two wings. It was like uh, a bear. It was like a leopard with wings and stuff like that. So okay. why did Elohim use that? And I think he used it because mankind was doing stuff like that. So in order to, impress upon their minds what he wanted. Mm-hmm. He used a lot of the things that they had done. But when you get into Ezekiel, uh, he had those type, he had different type of creatures in heaven. But on earth, when he used these creatures in, in prophecy, they may have been because these kingdoms r- represent some of the attributes of these particular animals. Wow. So I'm just wondering too, like with, all these movies that talk about superheroes talks about aliens. Um, it was another one. Um, Jurassic park. Yeah. And uh, mm-hmm. like Jurassic park and the dinosaurs. I'm just wondering 
are these things prepping us for the last days of things we may see during the last days? Because if these things were in the days of Noah, it seems like Satan is going to try to repeat everything. I mean, for the scripture says, as in the days of Noah, so shall it be when the son of man comes. So mm-hmm. it sounds like it's going to be a repeat of what happened up into the flood. So I'm just wondering, are they prepping us for these things to come? Well, what, uh, well, what we have to do, uh, I think Isaiah says it. He says, mm-hmm. Elohim declares the end from the beginning. Okay. So what happened in what what happened in the beginning that 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 got you got us in this in this problem? Well, it was wasn't it a snake that he used in order to deceive us? Mm-hmm. Well, he's going to be using beasts in the end of end of time, and these amalgamated creatures to to do the same thing. It's it's, it's no different from the creation. Wow. In other words, how it started is how how it's going in. It started with a creature deceiving us, and it's going to end with a creature deceiving us. And they're going to be putting all this mythology and all this stuff together. Uh-huh. It's a work of Satan to bring us down. And, you know, I just wonder, like, if these things come back, is that, will Satan use it as a tool to basically say, if you don't worship me, I'm sending these beasts after you to kill you. But to me, if, if, if that's the case, if I stand pat with Yah, Yah's the creator of all things. And he knows how even if Satan designed and created this being, he still knows the DNA working to destroy that thing, mm-hmm. you know. But it's just interesting just to see the things to come, because I think a lot of things that comes through the television and thrones through the movies and media and even some of this music, I think it's preparing you, it's programming you. Mm-hmm for what things are to come. Like, you know, I need more and more you're hearing about UFOs and all these other aspects and whatnot and mm-hmm. all. And I, I think these are, there is a preparation of things to come that it, you won't, when you see some of these things, you may not be as shocked. You know, mm-hmm. you know. Yeah, it's definitely preparing us for the great deception. Yeah, that's why I think it's so key as you're, bringing out as we're studying the mark of the beast to know all these things it is look to look for because it's not he's saying it's not just going to hit from one angle i think we're looking a lot of us sometimes look that he's just going to come from one angle it's going to affect every position every part of your life somehow Mm -hmm. we have to be prepared for that it may for some people it may be cutting off your food supply. For some people, it may be cutting off your livelihood. For some, it may be your family, your friends. He's going to impact everything around you 360 degrees to get you to worship him, I feel. Mm-hmm. You know? And I think it's only through us standing pat in our creator is that the only, that's the only way we're going to be able to deal with a lot of this stuff that's coming up. Yeah, well, that's true. Uh, as we read the Psalms, you know, he's trying to tell us to put our trust in him. Yeah. Um, and as we put our trust in him, some of us will have to give up our lives and some of us won't. Yeah. Uh, he'll, lead, he'll lead many of us in the right way when all of these crises comes, comes about. So it behooves us that we try to stay close to him and follow where he leads, and if we can follow where he leads, I think 
uh, well, I know we'll get the uh, protection that we need. Uh And in situations that he won't deliver us, we know that we'll come forth in that first resurrection. So if we be faithful, either whether we die or live, we his, you know, he'll he'll take us through. All right. And so next week, you are going to be expanding a little bit more on the seal. Yeah, because the seal has a a correlation with the mark. Just like like, uh, when you deal with the man. Uh Well, the mind has a correlation with the mark because Elohim said my seal is in the forehead and Satan is saying my mark is in the forehead. So if there's a similar place for the mark and the seal is the same, then it might be something about the seal and the mark uh, that, 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 that are the same too. And we, we want to look at the distinctions. Yeah, because uh, I want to know, I think we talked about it a little bit before. I think off uh, the podcast, is there a difference between a seal, a seal and a mark? Or are they mm-hmm. both the same thing? Because in my impression, when I think of a seal, I think of something that's permanent. You know, when when the, the uh, king stamps his seal with his ring, that's permanent law decree. But when mm-hmm. I think of a mark, I think of something like a scab. You know, I... I, I uh, got a scar mm-hmm. and after the scar healed it left a mark but as time goes on that mark can disappear i don't look at it as something that is permanent like i do a seal but i think as we talked you were saying that kind of they are both in the same well they got different words for uh mark and seal but the okay. mean the meanings of a mark and seal are, are the same their meanings are the same okay but the words are different okay yeah, we'll we'll be showing you the distinctions on it. So we you want to tune in because you want to know these things, especially for the last days. You want to know. So if you are tuning in live with us, we appreciate it. We are here every Shabbat at one p.m. Eastern Standard Time. Tell everyone you know they need to be tuning into this. They need to hear this. So before we go, Pastor, can you take us to the throne? Our loving Father, again, we so appreciative of you allowing us to be able to have another discourse and to never have, have another time that we can talk about it. And as we've talked about issues that affect our lives, that you have us to have the discernment to be able to work through some of these things and to be able to follow your lead, that we may be able to do the things that you would have us to do in the last days to be able to not only protect ourselves, but also to be able to spread to others the truth of the matter. So as we get ready to go into a new week, we ask that you would bless each person who is listening. Bless my host. Bless me. And we ask, O oh Lord, all of those who listen, that each one of us, O oh Heavenly Father, that I would be with us and continue to guide us, be with our families and our loved ones. Protect us from hurt, harm, or danger. Give us the things that we stand in need. Forgive us for our sins, O oh Father, and wash us from in the blood of the Lamb, that we may be pure individuals, and that as we continue to walk in the footsteps of our Savior, that we may be led in the path of righteousness that leads from earth to glory. So we ask that as we go forth this week, that we may reflect upon the things that we've learned. Now may the love of the Father and the sweet peace of the Holy Spirit may uh, rest, rule, and abide with each of us 
until we meet again. These blessings we ask in the name of Yeshua, and for his dear sake we do pray. Amen. Amen. And amen. Amen. Again, we are on live every Shabbat, every Saturday at 1 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. Tell a friend, tell everyone, tune in at psychov.com. If you do not, if you are not able to catch our show live, you can catch us on our podcast the week prior. So if you're listening to this and it will be a week after this will air on our podcast one week after the live. So we just want to let you know. That is our podcast for this week. If you have any questions or comments, please feel free to email us at signsofthecovenant at gmail.com. But the mercy of Yahuwah is from everlasting to everlasting upon them that fear him and his righteousness until his children's children, to such as to guard his covenant and to those that remember his commandments and do them. Until next week, Shalom.